Have you ever? God does lunch. Okay. All right. Have you ever said to someone or had someone say to you, hey, let's do lunch? Anybody said that to you? Raise your hand. Nodding your heads, raising your hand, okay. Or maybe you've said it to someone else, and usually when you say let's do lunch, that typically means let's go have a bite, and maybe we haven't seen each other in a little while and catch up on what's new in your life and what's new in my life, or they want you to join Amway or something like that, okay. But how many of you have been on a date before? Raise your hand if you've been on a date before, okay. Yeah, that may, may seem like a silly question, okay, but... Why do people date? Why do they date? Get to know each other. My wife, she must have been reading my notes. you got to know each other. Get to know each other, okay? And, and it's done differently now, in case you haven't noticed. And I don't know how many of you are involved or have been involved in, in, in the type of dating that we have now, uh, but it's done online. People meet online, and that's okay, okay? It's just not what I'm used to. My daughter and my son-in-law, they met online. Taylor and Heath met online. That's, that's cool, okay? But there does come a time, if you meet online, if your relationship's going to go further, you're going to have to meet face-to-face, don't you think? I mean, it can't go on perpetually online. If, if you want to take that next step, I guess you can get married and not see each other ever in person, but... I imagine that's kind of few and far, but well, in truth, it may work out better for people. I don't know, okay? But I remember when Dana and I were dating, okay? Every day, every day, I was driving to Candlewood Drive to see my beloved Dana, okay? And this was in Oklahoma City, and I had to drive from Yukon, and it was about 20 miles to get to her house. You know, but this was in the days before FaceTime and Skype, all right? But I think somehow if I had FaceTime and Skype, I would have made the drive anyway. Because there was something about being with her, something very powerful, just being in her presence. You know, FaceTime is fine, but it's just not the same as being in Dana's presence, all right? You're not experiencing the same smells, the same food, the same fresh air, the same atmosphere, the same views. I couldn't touch her hand with Skype or FaceTime, all right? I couldn't kiss her lips through Skype or FaceTime. I guess I could have leaned over and kissed the screen, but it's just not the same, okay? Her presence was a lot more powerful than just a picture on the screen or voice over the phone. But in the scriptures we're going to look at today, God wanted to have lunch with Abraham. He wanted to be more than just him talking through the clouds or through the atmosphere and not seeing him or being with him. God wanted to physically come down and hang out with Abraham and Sarah. Number one, let's ask ourselves this question. Do I welcome the Lord's presence? in my life? Do I really want the Lord in my life or do I just say that? Genesis 18, 1 and 2 says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of the Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. 
And if we want to look at this a little bit further, a little bit deeper, these three men were the father and probably two angelic beings. I've heard people say it may have been the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but I think it would have said that. Yeah, I think it was the Father and two angelic beings there, okay? But when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. Now, it's the hottest part of the day, and I understand in that part of the country can get very, very, very hot, okay? Abraham sees these three guys. And I don't know if he immediately recognizes that this is the Lord, but he runs down to see them and he bows when he does see them. He sees them, runs toward them, and I ask myself, what am I running toward? And I ask you that same question. What are you running toward right now in your life? Is there something that you're madly after? Is there something that you're going after right now and you're really running toward? Toward that, Abraham was running to where God is. And when he got there, he bowed low to the ground. It helps me to recognize that he knew who these men were. He knew that it was the Heavenly Father. Okay? I know who you are, God. I bow and I humble myself and I adore you. And that's what the bow meant then. Number two. When do I hang out with God? You know, it would be one thing if the Lord showed up every day in our life and he just had a chat with us, but that doesn't happen often. As a matter of fact, I, I don't think I've ever seen the Heavenly Father. And if he was in my presence in that physical nature, I didn't recognize him if he showed up that way. So he didn't show up that way all the time, okay? We walk by faith. I've never actually physically seen the Lord. Number three, he said, If I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Abraham is inviting the Lord to stay for a while. He's saying, Lord, please don't be in a hurry right now. Could you stay here and let's spend some time together? I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel I need to hurry and get my devotions done in a real quick time so that I can get about my day. This wasn't Abraham's intentions that day. He said, Lord, can you slow down? Could we both slow down so that we could spend some time together? How many of you have ever taken an hour, just carved it out and said, I'm going to hang out with you today, God, for this hour? I do that every now and then, just an hour. There was one time I felt the Lord impressing me to take an extended time out just to spend time with him. People in our church down in Broken Bow, they had cabins up in the mountain, and they told me that I could use one anytime. So I said, could I have one for a couple of days? So I took off from the work of the church just to hang out with God. I spent all day long reading the Bible, and I would stop when I felt impressed to pray. There was no TV in the cabin at all to watch. And I'd walk up and down the mountains there and just meditate on him. And I did that for 48 hours. How refreshing. And I think we have all different ways that we approach God, don't you? Let's, let me give you a few of the way people approach God. You know, there's several different ways, but I've got four here. There's the grocery cart approach, okay? When Dana and I first got married, we used to love to go to the grocery store. 
And we loved to walk up and down the aisles, and we'd walk up and down every aisle. We'd go by the meat market, and we'd go by, uh, you know, the fruit and the vegetables, the canned goods, everything. Every item in there, we walked past. And we'd pick this, and we'd pick that. And Dana said, after I pick something, you'll never eat that. And she said, I'm, I said, I'm going to eat it today. I'm going to eat it on the way home. We'd fill the basket, and we had an Australian shepherd, and we'd get the generic big bag of dog food and put it on there, and, and, and we were just, we were just fun to do that. But sometimes I think that's the way people approach God. They go down his shopping aisle, and they just start picking things out that they want here and there, and they go home and they consume those things. And instead of continually being in his presence, they got to go back and get it get it again and get it because it consumed God, okay? Number two is the emergency emergency room approach. Help! I've got a crisis and I need you while I'm going through this crisis and all of a sudden they're needing God. And here's the good thing about this. God doesn't say, oh, now you need me. He didn't do that. He didn't say, where were you last week when things were good? I think God is happy anytime kids, kids call out his name. I think he has preferences that you would do that continually. But I think he's happy anytime you call on his name. And then there's the legalism approach, you know. And it's the type of approach to God that I'm a good Christian if I'm reading the Bible every day at 6 p.m. And I'll be a better Christian if I read four chapters every day. And if I do this every day, I will read through the Bible in a year. And if I do it faster, I can do it faster if I skip over the book of Leviticus because it's boring anyway. I'll pray 30 minutes and that will ensure that I'm a good Christian. We think God is mad at us if we don't do these things in a ritualistic way. Let's think of it this way. I can't imagine my children how they would feel. If that was the view that they had of their daddy, then I'm looking at them making sure that they do a certain thing every day at the same time, and they better do this amount of it. If they don't, I'm going to be mad at them. You're going to be punished if you don't do it my way, and you don't do it the amount of the way that I want you to do it. And I think sometimes the legalism approach breaks God's heart. We keep working and working and working. Not that there's anything wrong with all of those things, but if we're bound up by them and think that that equates to our level of relationship to God, we're sadly wrong. God wants you to know Him. He wants you to have relationship, but this is not about a guilt trip. And then there's the flower child approach. It's like a super spiritual approach to God. How many of you remember the hippie movement back in the 60s? Dana and I were on a trip out in the West Coast. We were actually interviewing for a church out in in San Francisco area. And uh, when we were there, we decided we're going to visit Haight-Ashbury. And we went there, and there were people there that had been caught in a time warp. This lady walked in and had this long shirt. Okay, I think they called them maxis back then. Okay. And this, this long skirt, and she had straight silver hair that I'm sure one day was flaxen, okay? But it was all the way down to just beneath her back. And 
she had a big wide belt on, and uh, uh, she was from the hippie day. She had the little John Lennon brown sunglasses on, and then her boyfriend came in, and his hair looked identical to hers, only a little longer, and he had these bell bottoms on that you had to take three steps to get to the end of them, you know, and sandals, and he had this peasant shirt on that just hung down like this, and and, and he had the same style of glasses on. And they're in this health food store. And I think they ran a, uh, what do you call them? Uh, a clothing store from clothes back when. Anybody got the name? Vintage. There you go. You helped me. Thank you. Vintage clothes. And uh, they, but I, and I don't know what took my mind there. But nonetheless, you've seen the films of the documentary. You live through the hippie period and all that. And those people, they would dance in these films and things as though they're in kind of a trance with their eyes closed and just kind of swaying around like the wind blew them or something. And that's sometimes how people treat their relationship with God. It's this real mystical, strange thing. I've literally been with individuals. In the conversation, they go, oh, wait, wait a minute. And they kind of turn and look. Is this the truth? Okay, God, I got it. And then go back to the conversation. You know, I don't know if these people feel like that they're helping the cause of God in the year 2019, but they're not. God, what should I wear today? How should I walk today? Who should I talk to today? I knew a guy. <clears throat> yeah, never mind. That just doesn't happen to me, never has, okay? I know that God talks to us, but we don't need to make it weird. Then finally, there's the type of approach to God that I think is more recognizable to most of us. And it's the recognition that God is with us all the time, His approach. The Bible says, I am with you always. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. It's really all about us acknowledging He is with us or not acknowledging He is with us. Do you remember people telling us that God would not go into that, whatever it was, with you? He wouldn't go into the bowling alley. He wouldn't go into that theater with you, you know, but that kind of violates I'm always with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. He doesn't say, no, I think I'll wait in the car. I remember when I was a kid, a youth pastor gave us these little dolls made out of wire. And he shaped them into these little people type things, okay? And, and he put a little sign on it just said, the Lord. And he told us, put, us in, put it in your book, put it on your, your dash of your car, put it wherever you can see it, you know, all of the time. And, and every time you get ready to do something or say something, you look at that and you say, well, would, would it was before the what would Jesus do thing, but, you know, what would Jesus do? They were supposed to remind us to do the right thing all the time. It was truthfully kind of creepy. It was supposed to remind us that we shouldn't say this or do that, that God is not always with us. Uh, uh, he's always there just to catch us, basically. No, God's there for fellowship. He's there to be our Heavenly Father. And to love us. Number three, the art of hospitality. Abraham's getting ready to go all out here. He's going to involve Sarah, and they're about to have a meal. 
Verse 4, it says, let a little water be brought, and you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say, okay? This doesn't mean that Abraham goes and gets a Lunchable for the Lord. He doesn't go down to the, you know, quick trip and just run to the back counter, grab the Lunchable, come up and get it, all right? There was a lot of thought given to this. Come and rest. Their feet were washed. They got food. They prepared the food. Refreshes the Lord. He was aware of their need. It was southern hospitality. How many of you have ever heard of that southern hospitality? Okay. I remember being in a city in Mississippi. It was right on the river. And I tell you what, we went in there shopping in these stores, Dana and I did, and we couldn't get out of the stores because the people wanted to engage us and talk. You couldn't buy anything, you couldn't shop, you couldn't look at anything because they wanted to visit with you. Good old southern hospitality. When these northern Oklahomans went in there, we just wanted to buy something. But we had to chew our arms off to get out of the store. That was their way of ministering to people, I guess, and I think that Sarah and Abraham's had some of that southern hospitality. Number four, serving is not always easy. Verse six, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Three seahs was like a huge bag of flour. She was going to be baking bread all day long. How many have ever baked bread? It's not an easy job to knead that dough, let it rise and all of those things, and then bake it and bake it perfectly. Wow, especially when you're baking it for the Lord. He then brought some curds and milk. He brought him some yogurt. He went and caught a calf, all right, and had it prepared. It had to be butchered. The cuts of meat had to be sliced out just perfectly and apportioned rightly and set these before them, and while they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Abraham just stood back after he'd done all that work. Folks, this didn't happen in 30 minutes or an hour. It took all day to prepare everything that he had to do. He had to select the calf. He had to butcher it. He had to make sure everything was done just the way that it was supposed to do, and he served them, and he just went over and stood under a tree. Wow. What's the effort that we're giving in order to serve God? Heard of a youth group just recently. They did a group thing called Serve Out Loud. And they all went into the community. And when they went into the community, they broke off in separate groups. And they went about to all the houses in those neighborhoods, knocking on the doors and saying, Can we wake, rake your leaves? Do you have windows that need to be washed? Do you have a car that we could freshen up for you? Is there anything that we can do for you? And they spent all of their Saturday doing this, serving out loud. They did the ark thing, the acts of random kindness, okay? These kids gave a day to make a difference in their community. There's something powerful in determining to do something that cost me some time, cost me some effort, cost me some sweat in order to make a difference in your world makes a difference. You're not working your way to heaven. It makes a difference in you. It changes your perspective in life. Does it make you more acceptable to God? No. 
He smiles at you, though, and he loves what you're doing. Number five, will I believe that God can do anything? Okay. Food's been prepared. They've eaten. They've drank. They've been refreshed. Now, God wants to make a declaration over Abraham and Sarah. Number nine, and we talked about this just recently. God says to Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Like I said, we've already talked about this, and we talked about the different kinds of laughter. Abraham's laughter was a laughter of disbelief, if you'll remember. Sarah's laughter was a cynical laughter. Then in verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? And in verse 14, here's your refrigerator magnet. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. He repeats himself. Sarah was afraid, so she lied. And she said, I didn't laugh. And God said, you did too laugh. I did not laugh. You did too laugh. And they at that time, the next year, had a son and named him Isaac. Do you believe God can do anything? Here's a couple of takeaways. God often shows up quietly and unannounced. I believe that's what God did here. Abraham had no idea God was coming. He didn't know he was going to be that intimate that day. But you know, he's always living in us. Sometimes we equate God as being in a big tabernacle, maybe even, uh, you know, in a room somewhere or whatever. But he shows up intimately at times. And it's that still, small voice that he speaks into our spirit, and we know that he's there. How do we serve him? Number two, don't let routine take out God time. Did your routine... Sorry about that. People aren't used to having church on Saturday night. On your daily planner, did you put out in there 30 minutes with God? Sometimes. You don't have to do it every day. Just can't pencil it in there. 30 minutes with God. Do you know how many children that John Wesley's mother had, John and Charles Wesley's mother had? Somebody's saying it. 19. 19 children. She spent individual time with every one of her children during the day. And much of the time with no father present, she actually had to leave her father so he would come back and help sometime. He did so. 19 children that she raised. And you know something? Every day. It was her burden, and she felt her desire 
and probably her need to spend a time with God. And she would sit down in the middle of their living room. She wouldn't put the kids to bed for a nap. She didn't do anything like that. She took her apron and she pulled it up over her head as what her children testified. And she would spend a significant time with God in prayer with her skirt over her head while the kids did their thing. Wow. 19 kids. You know, don't let the routine take out God time. The next one, the Lord is gracious even in our unbelief. Even in Sarah's unbelief, in her cynicism, in her doubt, in all of those things, God didn't get mad at her. He still cared about her. And guess what? Even when we're doubting God, even when we're showing a lack of trust in Him, our God still cares about every one of us. Sarah laughed at God. Laughed at God. She wasn't just laughing. He just made a statement. And she laughed at God. And guess what? She still had a miraculous baby by that next year. Wow. And finally, God can do anything. Okay? And I think if I say anything today, anything at all, this may be the most important thing in everything that we're going through. The difficulties, the troubles, the struggles, the trials, the tribulations, the problems, whatever they are, don't forget that. God can do anything. But you know, as a pastor, I'm very realistic. Sometimes it doesn't happen the way that we think that it ought to happen. It just doesn't. But you know, sometimes just knowing that he can do anything increases my faith. It didn't come real fast for Abraham and Sarah. It didn't come real fast, you know, for the woman with the issue of blood. It didn't come fast for all of those people that have been praying and desiring something great to happen in their life. But, you know, just knowing that he can, let it increase your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because he can do anything. Would you stand? Would you do something for me? Um, I need God to do something, all right? And those of you who were my 60th birthday party last year, I told you that I had a friend in England who was supposed to be at the party. And his family still lives back here in Oklahoma City. And uh, uh, he had to have an emergency, emergency colon cancer surgery. And I found out right after the first of the year that uh, he had come back home because the cancer had returned and uh, that it looked really, really bad. And I got news this past week that he was released from the hospital in Oklahoma City University Hospital Cancer Treatment Center. And uh, he was released into the care of hospice. He's 60 years old. Uh, before this time, looked vibrant, strong, those things. He's about uh, probably four inches taller than me. And uh, at this moment, weighs about 110 pounds. And I went to visit him this past week, uh, past Wednesday morning. Drove over there, his wife, his daughter, his mother, his aunt, all those people I kind of grew up with. And uh, his brother, I've spoken with him over the phone. He shared with me that 
uh, for Mike, it's not a matter of how many months he has, and uh, nor is it a matter of how many weeks. It's we're talking days, and uh, he needs a miracle, all right. But if God chooses to take him this way, we we'll all accept that and understand that. But God can still do miracles, all right. He can do anything. You know, he he raised dead people. I don't know why he can't raise just sick people, right? And is there anybody else here that has a request that you just slip up your hand that we can pray with you about? Anyone? I know that's my request is kind of dramatic, and I don't want to belittle anybody's need today. We need to pray for Sandy. Sandy's in rehab, and uh, we pray that God will strengthen those hip muscles so that she'll be able to uh, motor uh, as the best that she can. Amen. Would you pray with my, oh, I'm sorry, Robbie. Robbie's facing surgery very soon. We don't have a date yet, but we'll, we'll know soon. Yes. Your surgery started. Will you give me that, those details later? Okay. Back surgery. Amen. Linda Simmons, all right. 